oldest sons of Jesse, and he was groomed, as in many traditions, he was groomed to be that heir to, to Jesse's livelihood. And this is no doubt based on the way that Samuel reacts. We're just gonna go ahead and say he was probably tall in stature and a good looking guy. And he had that it factor that we look to in a lot of leaders. Just by the look of him, you're like, this is someone who's there. He gets it, he's arrived. I'm not saying that Eliab was a prideful person, but he had all the outer markers. If he wanted to boast, he had every ability to do so. But then verse seven happens. And this is the hinge point here. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if you're in the habit of underlining or highlighting verses in your Bible, just that last sentence of verse seven, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is a needed foundation for us because it sets the tone of humility that defined the early, even the earliest years of David's life. Because what happens next is all the rest of the other seven brothers go forward Samuel and like, nope, 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 not this one, this one, or this one. So Samuel's like, did I miss something here? Are there any other sons? In a very Cinderella-esque type of a, a moment, Jesse says, oh yeah, of course, there's the youngest one, the, the runt of the litter, David, he's out tending sheep. All right, bring one in. And of course, as soon as Samuel sees David, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, that's my guy. He's just a kid. He's just a shepherd. He's not being groomed for great leadership. But the Lord looks at the heart. And he saw the heart of David a man after God's own heart. He saw in David greatness and he knew that this was the one he wanted to lead Israel next. So this humility part, humility is the antithesis of pride. Just a real quick definition there. This is not the Webster's definition, this is Pastor Mike's. Pride is when we think too highly of ourselves as we stand before the holy, holy Holy God. Pride is when we make ourselves the main character in the story of our life. It's about me. Humility is not self-deprecation. Humility is a proper understanding of who I am as I stand as a sinner before the holy, holy, holy God. Pride is the antithesis of humility. God seeks us in humility. And that's where he finds David. So you still have Saul, king of Israel, even though he's been rejected by God, he's still leading military campaigns and leading the nation. But you've got this kid, the shepherd boy, David, who's already anointed as the next king in waiting. So chapter 16 plays out. But chapter 17 comes upon us. Now this is where we're really gonna spend our time today. We've got the narrative of David and Goliath and chapter 17 is a big chapter. So I'm just gonna walk us through narratively through some of these texts in this chapter. But I, as I often do, I encourage you to really read this chapter in its entirety when you go home today. Really soak it in and allow the Lord to speak to you through 1 Samuel 17. 
It's a familiar story. I think we've all grown up with this story, but we're gonna look at it from a different vantage point today. You've got the armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines, and they're both encamped on two different hills. And there's a valley in between, sort of basic setup for a battle. And that's where we encounter chapter 17. I'm gonna start us at verse four. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze that weighed 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Just parenthetically, people estimate that all the gear that Goliath had was somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 pounds of gear that has just been described there. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So at least he didn't have to carry his own shield, I guess. And now this next slide here, you'll see a graphic. This is, forgive the crudity of the artist's rendering, but I think it gives you a pretty good picture of what was just described with Goliath. There are debates as far as how tall Goliath actually was, six cubits and a span. Commentators argue every, everything from eight and a half feet tall to 10 feet tall, right? We, we've, got a, we've got a range here. He's a big dude. And I want you to know, this isn't some exaggerated fairy tale. It is not unprecedented to have human beings this tall. Robert Wadlow. Go ahead and Google him. Not now, when you get home. Robert Wadlow died in 1940 at the age of 22 in Illinois. He was measured at eight feet, 11 inches tall. The, the pictures of him, if you Google the images, are absolutely wild. But I just want you to understand, this is a real human being that actually lived. And he goes and he calls out the nation of Israel here. Let's keep reading. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who's also big in stature, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I'm gonna skip down a few verses. Verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, Jesse said to his son, David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now, hang on a minute, we're gonna pause here. You get Goliath doing his thing and you can just hear the arrogance coming from him. We're gonna dissect that in a minute. But you've got David still doing his shepherd thing. The future king, anointed king of Israel is still a shepherd. 
And now you see him, he's not on the front lines. He's still just a young boy. He's now a food runner. He's the water boy for his brothers. Dad is sitting there saying, take all this food and these supplies and go to your brothers and give them some supplies and tell me how they're doing. David does that. And in the narrative that follows, he sees and hears what Goliath is doing. And very famously, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? All the troops there are terrified as we read, but David is not acting in pride. He's acting out of confidence. There's a difference there between pride and confidence. And David knows what's going on and he hears this ridiculousness coming from Goliath and he calls him out on it. Well, the troops, say they eventually usher him over to King Saul. So he's an audience with King Saul and you got little David saying, I'm gonna go do this, I'll, t- I'll take him out. So Saul kind of, you know, forgive the, the expression, Saul kind of pats him on his head a little bit and said, there, there, dear boy, yeah, that this is not for you. And here's how David responds. Going to continue the story. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. That is a powerful interaction. The humility of David is on display but also the courage of David and the confidence of David. So I always want to check when it's story time with Pastor Mike. Are you guys still with me? Good, all right. So here's what happens next. David tries to get all this armor on and, and you can just picture this teenager trying to put on this battle armor and the sword that just, he can't even lift it. And Saul's like, this, no son, this, this isn't gonna work. David says, okay, no worries. Give me my slingshot and give me my rocks. We're gonna go and do this. It's not arrogance, it's courage. There's a difference. Skipping down towards the end of the chapter. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. There's a difference between confidence and pride. There's a difference between courage and pride. Here's what David says in courage and confidence. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands 
and they'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Just as we sang earlier this morning, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. If you want the non-children's version of the story here, keep reading the verses that follow. Uh, David follows through in his promise to cut off his head and then what happens? Well, you can read it on your own. David defeats Goliath in a story that all of us know. That's a powerful narrative. And there are certain elements of this narrative that we know we can dissect who Goliath is and who David was and the power of defeating your giants and all that. We can go all those places. But today, we have a very specific assignment. I'll say it again. Love is not boastful. It is not arrogant or proud. So what I would like to do with us is to call out five truths that we see from this text and from the word of God. I wanna call out five truths for us that hopefully can speak and minister to the church today. And the first one is this, that God calls us to a life of humility and not pride. I already defined the difference between the two, humility and pride, and you see the scriptural basis for it here, one of them in 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Hold on. You see that? Love the other. Humility is a way, a posture that we have, an attitude of our heart before God. But humility lived out is agape love, love the other. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are called to live a life of humility. Why? Why is that true? Because when you stand before a holy, holy, holy God, who are you? Who am I? Who are any of us in standing before God himself to say, look how awesome I am. You see the degrees in my wall. You see my accomplishments. You see what I've done? Or I've arrived. I've made it. Of course, this is me. Or to live our lives in pride. It does not, it does not mesh with who God is and who we are. That's why God calls us to live a life of humility. Pride's a problem though. Pride is not your everyday ordinary sin. Pride is one of those primal sins. It goes back to the Garden of Eden type of sin. It is one of those sins that we all inherit and we all possess to some degree, which is why we have such an emphasis on this and why Paul calls it out here saying, 
Love is not boastful, arrogant, or proud. We need to work on ourselves and our motivations, self-reflect a bit, and understand that we are called to so many greater things. 1 Samuel 16, 7 again. Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. Hold on. You could also substitute in there. Do not consider his accomplishments. Do not consider where he went to college. Do not consider where he or she uh, lives now and how many bedrooms they have and how many square feet are in their home. Do not consider these things. Don't consider all those outer markers of what our culture tells us to find success. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay. Living a life of humility is having the right heart before God. But if I could go one step further with that, living a life of humility is seeing the heart in others, seeing with the eyes of God, David, a man after God's own heart, put your own name in there. It doesn't matter the entomology of a name, put your own name in there and say, yes, a person after God's own heart, see with eyes of faith and see people's hearts. That's living a life of humility and not pride. Do we, do we mess this up every day? Husbands, Love your wives with humility, not pride. Children, honor and love your parents, not with pride. It doesn't matter how old you are. I'm not just talking to children, I'm talking to children. Love your parents with pride. Parents, love your children with humility, not pride. How do we as a church look at those who don't share our values, our politics, our, our way of life, our worldview. Are we arrogant in how we treat others? Or are we humble, looking at the heart and not at the outward appearances? Leads us to the second point. Boasting and arrogance are symptoms of pride. Pride is a sickness that we all have and, and boasting and arrogance are symptoms of that sickness. It's, it's kind of just, okay, what are your symptoms? If, if we're going through the checklist of, okay, well, COVID, we can all rattle off those, those symptoms that we've, we've all seen for all those years. Two of the markers of pride are boasting and arrogance. I'm gonna read to you this section again from 1 Samuel 17. Just hear the pride, the arrogance and the boasting dripping off of Goliath's words. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, God will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said, this day, oh, the arrogance here. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. There's so much boasting and arrogance going on here. It, it, it could almost be a sermon unto itself. You've got not just Goliath standing forth. It's not just his physical stature that was imposing. 
it was the words, the way he boasted and the way he carried himself in arrogance and the things that came out of that man's mouth. Love is not any of those things. And I know this is an extreme example of boasting and arrogance. But we all need to examine ourselves. We might not be taunting an actual army, but we boast and we live our lives in arrogance in different ways. Think about those relationships I just listed and many more. Think about the ways that we speak to our friends. Go ahead. Think about the ways in which we conduct ourselves around our coworkers. Is there any boasting there? Is there any pride, any arrogance? Think about the ways that we boast and show arrogance to our enemies. And as I just referenced, think of us as a church, not just our church, but the church. Is there a way in which we look down on others? We have an air of superiority, other denominations. All right, I know there's plenty of church humor about different denominations. I get that. Let me keep that in the realm of humor. We, we can all laugh and smile. But is there an arrogance about us? Maybe we're not calling out an army, but yet we stand on who we are in arrogance as if we're not sinners ourselves. And we judge different people and different groups of people in our own pride. We judge others that disagree with us politically. Do we judge others that disagree with us doctrinally? Do we judge others that disagree with us as far as the degrees of sin? Do we judge others? We show arrogance towards others that live in different parts of the world, different races. I think we all need to examine ourselves in this. Love is not boastful, nor is it arrogant. And it's not just Goliath here in this text that's showing and displaying this arrogance. If you think about it, the entire Philistine army is just camped out. They're just snacking and sleeping in and just doing their exercises. And the entire, the entire camp of Israel is ready to do battle. And they're just kicking back saying, Goliath, you take it. We have such confidence as arrogance in Goliath. You just take it and we're just going to sit back and watch. And Goliath has the audacity to say, let's just do a one-on-one. Who you got, let's go. You see the point. This is boasting and arrogance on display in an extreme way. Just one more section here to show Goliath's arrogance. Later on in that chapter, he says, he looked at David, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed him. Again, arrogance on display. The third point I want you to see is pride is corrosive to healthy relationships. Just one verse here from the text I want to show is 1 Samuel 17, 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You see, when we act in pride, when we speak words boastfully, and when we conduct ourselves with arrogance, 
it doesn't just affect our standing before God, but it has an impact on others that maybe we don't see or maybe we choose not to see. It says here that they were dismayed and terrified, and that's not an exhaustive list of the effects of what happens when we treat others in these ways. It destroys relationships. Pride cometh before the fall. Amen. Pride is a primal sin that's at the root of marital conflict, communication breakdown, children that are estranged from their parents, parents that are estranged from their children, an employee that gets so filled with pride that they just pack it in and say, I'm out of here. Pride destroys churches faster than anything. Pride destroys our witness to an outside world who desperately need the light of Christ. It is toxic for real relationships to grow. And it goes against our faith. So we need to do better with that. Number four, pride blinds us to our faults and our brokenness. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of of the armies of Israel who you have defiled. If we just look at Goliath's immediate response must have been, yep, exactly. I've got everything going for me and you're a kid with a slingshot. He became blind to his own weaknesses as he mocked God and as he mocked the nation of Israel, as he mocked David himself, he was blinded by his own arrogance. I'll let you fill in the lesson for your own self there. We become so blind. Pride is corrosive, not just to others, but to our very selves. And then fifth and finally, pride's power source is self. Humility's power source is God. Just for fun, I'm gonna read this again with a different emphasis. You see how it's highlighted here. Just understand Goliath's words coming and how much he relies on himself. This is pride, arrogance and boasting personified. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I, ever, if I overcome him and kill him, you become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. You see my point. Pride revolves around me. The story of my life, it's the story of my life. Of course, I'm the main character in the story of my life. That's pride. Now contrast that with David in the same text. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Completely different emphasis, worldview, and power source. David knows it's not his strength, but it's God's strength through him. The Lord is with me. Later on, 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you because I'm awesome. I come against you because of all my accomplishments and my stature. I come against you because I'm an accomplished military hero. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defiled, defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, not me taking anything from you. My power source is God and not me. This is how we're called to live as Christians. This is how we love one another. This is how we display that agape love that the apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not boastful, it is not arrogant, and it is not proud. Don't be a Goliath, be a David. That's easy for all of us to understand, but it is incredibly difficult when we peel back the layers and we understand our own brokenness and our own struggle with pride. We default into going on our own strength and abilities and talents and talking about it and showing everyone about it. Spiritual discipline is allowing God to change us. So just real quick, in case you're taking notes, here's that list of five again, just by way of review. If I, if I went too fast, you can, you can jot those down. These are lessons that we learn from this David and Goliath story that we've heard many times before that I hope that you see and hear in a different way because it communicates to us truth, what to do and what not to do. But dare I say it's okay to boast? I know that goes a little bit counterintuitive here. What about boasting? Second Corinthians chapter nine, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses nine and 10. Paul, in talking about his struggle with the thorn in his flesh, go read that to find out the context, is talking to the Lord and the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ and I am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. When I am weak, then I am strong. If we're going to boast, don't boast in yourself. Boast in the Lord and his ability to change your life and guide your life. His power is made perfect in our weakness, and that is the incredible story of the gospel. So I'll close with this statement Agape love is boasting in our weaknesses so that others may see the power of the gospel in us. We are called to live in humility and show the world not how, uh, show the world how amazing God is, not how amazing we each are. How would you live differently if God was the main character in your story instead of you? Just sit with that question. Because here's the truth. The great God of the universe, the great Lord that created everything, came down to this earth in perfect humility. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. God himself was made and found in human likeness 
and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. May we each know that, rely on that as our power source. And now as we transition, I'm gonna pray and Pastor Carl's gonna come up and lead us into a time of communion together. And as, as he does so, to take the lessons here, center your heart in that humility that we just talked about. Take a moment and remove that pride, remove that boasting, remove the arrogance and understand that it is the God that has saved you and redeemed you that gives you the strength and even the breath in your very lungs that you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this love, this inexpressible love that you give to us, that you demonstrated this to us, Lord. We get an opportunity and the honor to reflect that back to you and to a world that desperately needs you. So Lord, teach us these things. Teach us the deep truths of love that it is not boastful, that it is not arrogant, it is not proud. There are plenty of scriptural examples of this and we can understand the extremes of it. But Father, even in this moment, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and root out those elements that are not loving. And may we look to you as a perfect example of humility. And may you continue to change us into your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.